says, don't be troubled. Trust in God. Trust always in me. My father's house has room to spare. If that weren't the case, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When I go to prepare a place for you, I will return and take you to be with me so that where I am, you will be too. You know the way to the place I'm going. Thomas asked, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you have really known me, you will also know the Father. From now on, know him, and you have, excuse me, from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and it will be enough for us. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks, G. Will you all pray with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the audience participation part of this. Uh, think, think about and, and maybe share at Potluck with someone. Uh, think about a significant journey that you have taken in your life or maybe that you're on currently. What significant journeys have you taken in your life? It, maybe you'll be thinking about that uh, for the rest of the sermon. That's fine. This could be like a, a literal trip, like packing up and going from one place to another. Uh, when I was trying to think about how I would answer this for myself, I vividly remember what it was like packing for college the first, the, the first time packing for college. It's like a significant rite of passage for some of us. In, in my situation, we paid so much attention to trying to get the mini fridge situation correct. Um, <laughs> it was really also lost on us because I was the oldest child. So, uh, also, there, we didn't all have cameras in our pockets back in the day. This is like the only picture that I can find from that day. And it's on a keychain that they gave us at the student union to remind us that we needed to come to the next orientation thing, right? Uh, notice the frosted tips. It was great. It was really lost on us because it was the first time, the first go around for my family. The amount of swag and t-shirts that you that you get the first like month of undergrad. So don't if, if you're doing this for the first time, don't worry about packing a lot of t-shirts. They'll be there when you get there, right? And I also remember Ned... Um, Ned and Nan will be back next week. Ned, like the dad legend that he is, he was like eager to get back on the road and make good time on I-10 and I-95. And Nan, as many of you know Nan, she was more down to linger longer, right? Um, another significant journey that I, that I thought about was um, I, I have a little more of a vague recollection a few years later what was going through my head when I packed my uh, Volkswagen Jetta with everything that I owned to move up here without a roommate or a place to live, um, to work a summer camp, and then I would just be moving up here somewhere after that. It was kind of a one-way ticket situation. In hindsight, that was both sort of dumb and the best move that I've ever made in my life. Maybe your significant journey is less about rest stops and pounding the pavement and more about like a long season of change. I think we're all kind of still reeling from the collective journey we've been through these years of pandemic. 
even several years after 2020, it feels a little bit like how when you have like broken a window at your house and you think you've swept up all the glass and debris and years later, the earth just keeps like coughing up broken glass shards that you thought you missed. I feel like that's what's happening now. This journey has been apocalyptic. It's been revelatory. It's showing us things about ourselves that we might not have known, showing us things about our country, the sort of people we are, the sort of people we desire to be, how resilient we are, but also how fragile and tenuous this whole situation is. It's shown us how much we're willing to sacrifice for others who are vulnerable. It's shown us how, like all these untouchable third rails too, um, everything's kind of been up for grabs. Guns and sex and politics and abuse and race and religion and nationalism. It all has been and continues to be quite a journey. There's beauty, I think, in wisdom, in the cyclical nature of our Christian year, that we keep coming back on these cycles of journeys, significant seasons of journey. This week, we enter into one of those seasons, the season of Lent. It's 50 days ahead of Easter, starting with ashes and fasting and repentance and journeying with Jesus to and through the cross. Esau Macaulay just came out with a, a brilliant little short book. If you um, haven't observed Lent or want to know what that's all about, I would recommend this book. Uh, it's about what Lent is and what it can be for our faith in it. Um, it tells and helps our bodies live into a gospel story as we walk with Jesus. Macaulay reminds us that the Lent jersey, uh, journey has three historic features, preparing people for baptism, reconciling those estranged from the church, and a general call for the whole church to repent and renew our commitment to Jesus. That's what Lent is about. Each or all of these functions happen as a significant journey, a rite of passage, a turning around or turning back, a being renewed and becoming the sort of people who can live responsive lives to God, or as we just sang, who can walk with Jesus. Lest all of this repentance talk sound a little bit heavy or overly pious or maybe a little dour, it's good to remember <laughs> that A, re repent, it just means turn. It just means turn around. It's as much about direction as it is about behavior. In repenting, turning to walk towards and with Jesus rather than past or away from Jesus is just the start of the journey, but it is also every bit of the journey. It's not necessarily knowing the destination or how it's all going to work out. We just take a step towards Jesus, and when we do, we find that Jesus has already taken steps towards us. That he, we've already been given Jesus' spirit to guide us on this way. So we enter into a journey of repentance, a significant journey in this church, and, and it might feel a little like disorientation, it might bring up some bits of insecurity when we fast. We, it might be the first time in a long time some of us have felt what hunger pangs feel like, or what, um, if you fast from your phone, you realize how often you reach for that square in your pocket. 
You might feel a little lost before you feel found, and that's okay. All that Jesus asks, he provides for us. Macaulay says, the good news is that at the moment we see a gap between ourselves and our Lord, we also encounter the blood that draws us in and assures us we're forgiven. Jesus's own presence is both grace and judgment. So that's the tension and that's the, the, the feeling that we feel during this season of journey. And that's part also of what it means to have faith, to walk with Jesus and to be led by Jesus is an act of faith. I like to go on walks with folks. I shared this when I came back from my sabbatical. One of the things that I learned is that I really like to take walks. And so oftentimes if you have, uh, if there is time and you have a meeting, I'll say, let's do a walk and talk and we'll walk. Um, I, I like it because there's kind of a subtle art to the walk and talk to, to pull that off. First off, you, like, you have to have the right footwear. It's got to be the right kind of day. But you, also when you're doing this well, your whole kind of posture changes because you are walking side by side, but you're both oriented ahead. You're, 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 you're progressing. You're moving towards something. There are opportunities along the way to, to, to take little sidebars and to note something or to narrate something. There are chances for surprise and encounter and interruption and journeying this way is kind of a learned skill. I think some sort of way like this is how Jesus invites us to travel through life with him, that he might be our guide, he might show us the way, he might caution us about potholes and, and show us something more beautiful than we might have seen if we were hurrying on straight ahead to our destination. In our passage today that Gary read, Jesus speaks to his disciples, these fellow travelers. He's been walking with them. I love um, some of the ancient teachers and, and philosophers and rabbis are, are called like peripatetic uh, teachers. It means they kind of walk around, but they're also kind of itinerant people. Um, so he's this itinerant rabbi. He tells them that they are not to be troubled but that they should trust, that they should have faith in him. Before your spiritual bypassing alarms go off, <laughs> uh, understand a bit of what was going on, what had just happened. Jesus had just celebrated a Passover feast with them. This is dense, like uh, pregnant time in which they're remembering God's deliverance of God's people out of Egypt. Jesus had completely thrown them through a loop by subverting their leadership norms and expectations when he got down on his knees to wash their feet. They should be doing that for him, and he does that for them. Then there's this side note that Judas is in the process of selling him out. Peter is also kind of in the process of realizing that he's not as solid as he thinks he is. And Jesus is beginning to lay out this significant journey to and through the cross that he must take. He says, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. So in this passage, Jesus uses a phrase several times. We just sang it several times, and it's sneaky for how significant it is because it doesn't necessarily set off a lot of bells for us, but it would really ping for hearers and readers steeped in Israel's history. Jesus says in verse 19, when he's betrayed and sent to die, he says, you will believe I am who I am. You will believe I am who I am. This is a, a statement of identity. I am who I am has been shorthand for the very identity of the God of Israel. 
I am who I am. John's gospel story shares how Jesus uses this phrase in kind of two ways. First, without um, kind of uh, without an attachment as a name. Jesus says, I am who I am, directly referencing the God of Israel. And then one is a symbol. I am something else. I am this metaphor. As a name, God has used I am to express God's very I-ness. God is not a concept. God is, is personal. God um, is an actor in Israel's history. God is a covenant partner. This is famously present in Exodus 3. I am who I am is God's answer to what his people should call him. Or Isaiah 43. Um, and you are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant in whom I'm chosen. That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me no God was formed, nor shall there be none other after me. I am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. So when Jesus says, I am who I am, he is saying, I am this one. I am God and I am with God. Later in our passage, uh, he says, if you have really known me, you have also known the Father. There's this close, intimate identification with Israel's God that Jesus is doing. This is, this is big time stuff. And then there are, uh, I am as symbols. These are precisely the symbols that we're going to be exploring during the season. You can see some of those in the artwork that Gwen has made. This, uh, I, I love, I think when Jesus is, is telling stories and using symbols, he's kind of doing something like, like a collage or juxtaposition, cutting these things out of their lives and pacing them in some other way that means something different. These are the symbols that we're gonna focus on this Lenten journey together. Um, we're going to discover and ground our identity in Jesus's identity as the way, the truth, and the life, the light of the world. He says, I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the true vine. I am the gate for the sheep. And then it culminates on Easter with, I am the resurrection and the life. So in the midst of the confusion in the midst of the disciples' anxiety of finding out that their leader who has walked with them and would soon be leaving them, and likely because one of their friends would betray him, Jesus attempts to settle them, to reassure them. He comforts them with the enoughness of God's presence for them. He tells them where he's going and where they will follow is the Father's house with plenty of room to spare. Even though Judas's choices are based off of self-preservation and scarcity, Judas kind of uh, short sells. He cashes out before Jesus' stock plummets. God's love is plenteous. It is capacious. Their inheritance is secure. This is part of Jesus' journey to prepare a home for God's people to be with God. To prepare a home for God's people to be with God. This is a significant part of Israel's journey. Traversing wilderness led by smoke in the day and fire by night, living as refugees and exiles, those on the move with God in a land not their own. In so many ways, Jesus' ragtag disciple friends replicate and kind of recapitulate this story. Twelve called ones like the twelve tribes walking with God, 
answering God in the flesh's call to follow him. And like the song we just sang, deciding to follow Jesus and knowing somehow that that means no turning back. They're learning how to make a home. They're learning how to find home in God, even in a strange land at a strange time. We, in some ways, are still at this task of letting God be our home, our safety, our security in a strange land at a strange time. Julian of Norwich calls this persistent aim a response to God creating us to be homed in God. That we, we must find home in God and only in God. When we find home elsewhere, that's the beginning of our idolatry. That's when we twist our desires instead of finding security in God. Where we find love and peace and joy and security without fear or anxiety. This is why I think... Um, this is one of the reasons why I think it's such a crisis to live in such a, a great city like ours that has this housing crisis, like in, in reality, if, if we are all created to be homed with God, it, it, it should be a crisis, especially for us as people of faith that have so many unhoused neighbors. If God created us to be homed, he also created us to have a home with all the health and the social connections that that entails. So Thomas asks Jesus. Thomas is always good at um, asking questions. We remember Thomas with kind of an unfair nickname, Doubting Thomas. Let's call him Logical Thomas, maybe. That kind of sounds like a British rapper name. Uh, maybe like Type A Thomas, you know, that'd be good. It's kind of kinder, a little less, uh, a little more value neutral than Doubting Thomas. Thomas asks Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? How can we know how to be at home with God? How can we know how to be with you if you're going ahead of us? And Jesus answers this like mic drop punchline of all punchlines. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. In some ways, he's saying, I Thomas, I am the medium and I'm the message. I am I'm the way and I am the truth and the life. Everything that you're asking, I'm, I'm that. Just stick with me. For as grand and theological as this phrase, I am the way, strikes us, by the simple Greek of it, Jesus is just calling himself the road, the path, the trail, the rubber and the pavement. I've come to wonder that when Jesus uses these phrases or when he tells those clever parable stories and he grabs those things around him and he improvisationally conscripts them into service to show and tell what the kingdom is like, I've come to wonder if, if what he's saying is something that his, his hearers originally would expect him to say. I, I, I would think that, that you would expect someone with enough gumption to claim identity with the God of Israel that he would say something a little, he would shoot a little higher than I am the way, I am the road. He might say, I am the destination. Come to me. Don't go anywhere else. But instead he says, I am the way. This means that the journey, this long and arduous road, 
is baked into life with God. That walking with Jesus isn't just some inconvenient ride that we have to suffer through before we get to glory, but that the journey is the thing. So often in this life of discipleship, we're like the kids just incessantly saying, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And <laughs> parents are all like, amen. Yeah. And, and Jesus says, settle in for the ride. This is also how, like, why the countless hours of road trip are what make the trip what it is. That's why road trips are great and so often way more meaningful than the stop at the attraction on the roadside for the world's largest ball of yarn or whatever you saw. You remember the songs you played and the conversations that you had on the way. When Jesus says that he's the way, Greek word is, Hodas, notice there's like a link to the ex hodas, the exodus, the way out. It means that Jesus is making a way where there is no way. It means that God operates not at the speed of light, but probably around three miles an hour. That's how fast most people walk. It means, as Eugene Peterson writes, to follow Jesus is as much or maybe more about feet as it is about eyes and ears. It also means that Jesus' ways have to be our ways. Not just what Jesus says and does matters, but how he does it matters. And that means that Jesus is our key to discerning what is good in this world and how to go after the good. This sort of discernment and practice in slow growing and virtue in the fruits of the Spirit is what walking with Jesus is all about. Not quick answers or certainty, or even most of the time feeling that we're all that competent or that us doing this Jesus life feels kind of clumsy or awkward. I'm listening to Beth Moore's really beautiful memoir right now. You can get it on the Durham Library app for free. It's great. Um, she speaks directly into this desire for certainty as someone who's been walking with Jesus for quite some time. She says, all my knotted up life, I've longed for the sanity and simplicity of knowing who's good and who's bad. I wanted to know this about myself as much as anyone. And as benevolent as God has been in a myriad of ways, God has remained aloof to this uncomplicated request. With her, we long for sanity and simplicity and certainty, and instead we get Jesus the way. With all the gravel roads and switchbacks that that entails, but also with the deep and abiding intimacy and presence that Jesus promises us on the way. If Jesus saying that he is the way rather than the destination is surprising to us, maybe saying that he's the truth and the life is a little less surprising. Like these are grand and ambitious things that most leaders would claim for themselves. We wouldn't expect him to say that he's much less. Um, and I think we would be pretty disappointed if Jesus says that he is about lies and death rather than truth and life. Many in our culture of untruth and half-truths and death-dealing uh, still claim truth and life. This is like a standard campaign message. 
Um, Friday, I introduced my kids for the first time to Back to the Future. And I, I think there's something written into my Oak Church contract that I have to talk about Back to the Future when I think to talk about Back to the Future. But I was struck because in both 1985 and 1955, there's people in um, uh, Twin, what's it called, Hill Valley, uh, Twin Pines, uh, running for mayor, Red Thomas in 1955 and Goldie Wilson in 85. And their campaign pitches are identical. They're, they both said, do you believe in progress? Do you want us to clean this city up? Vote for me because I stand for honesty, decency, and integrity. And this is kind of what Jesus is doing and saying, I'm the truth and I am the life. But what is actually surprising about Jesus claiming to be the truth and the life? It's not that he makes these claims. Plenty of people make these claims. But it's the way that he makes these claims. It's the way that Jesus is the truth in the life. Namely, by being falsely accused, by being betrayed, by experiencing death. Jesus radically redefines truth in life in terms of serving and suffering. Jesus radically redefines truth and life in terms of serving and suffering. Y'all, this is really good news. For some of us, it's incredibly humanizing and affirming to hear this this morning. That suffering and serving is exactly in the purview of what God cares about and what God does. For some of us, this scares the crap out of us this morning. Because vulnerability of losing and serving and suffering is our worst nightmare, and we do everything possible to buffer against it. We don't want anything to have to do uh, with that sort of life or something that would put us in those sorts of situations. Still good news. However you're hearing that today, hear this as good news, that Jesus has redefined truth in life to serving and suffering. Turn towards that good news. Repent. Embrace that good news. Let that good news give you life. Start to practice that good news just today. Let's start to practice that good news. This is the gospel message. This is the goal of our Lenten journey. To join Jesus on this way. On the way to the cross. The only way to truth, the only way to real life. So friends, join me in that repenting, in that turning around and turning back to God. It's going to require us to interrogate all the ways that we reject Jesus' way. We either, sometimes we just mute it. We think we can do better. Sometimes we try to improve upon the way that Jesus does things. Sometimes we try to speed up Jesus's way. Sometimes we just avoid it altogether. So friends, let's walk together with Jesus on this way to this truth in this life. Y'all pray with me. Lord Jesus, we repent for the ways that we 
try to speed up or improve upon or abandon your way. Uh, forgive us. And help us turn back to it. Help us join you on this significant journey. Through serving. With suffering. Into real and everlasting life. We give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.